This is a podcast about Vancouver, our community, our culture, our quirks, and all the colors that combine to make our city of glass. My name's Mo Amir, and I'll be your host. This is Van Color. This is Van Color. The political battle royale in Vancouver's mayoral race continues into the doldrums of summer. The withdrawal of one candidate due to health reasons and the emergence of a new candidate may have only slightly reshuffled the deck, but things are beginning to heat up. A city council candidate made national news over curating his Twitter account. The rise of independent candidates has sparked a debate on the possibility and viability of having city council represented by a majority of independents And the parties are beginning to release their slates and platforms in preparation for what's sure to be a rock'em sock'em campaign. Today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by an entrepreneur and City of Vancouver mayoral candidate born and raised in South Vancouver. This gentleman represents the amazing opportunities that so many of us in our lineage have admired and realized in our wonderful city. His parents immigrated here before his birth to seek a better life, and he did not let that intention go to waste. At eight years old, he exemplified the hustle of an entrepreneur reselling comic books. As a teenager, he grinded out hours as a night shift janitor at Wendy's and a busboy at the Cafe Pacifica to earn the money that would put him through the UBC Sauter School of Business. He worked in investment banking, a job that took him out of Vancouver, until he returned to start his own business, Nurse Next Door which today offers a range of senior care home services across 180 locations in North America. With over 5,000 employees, Nurse Next Door has been recognized as one of North America's best franchises and a top employer in BC and Canada. And if that wasn't enough, he founded a second business, Rosemary Rock Salt, a bagel bakery that makes real bagels, Montreal style, across several locations in Metro Vancouver. He's diving in headfirst into politics, and he's leading in the polls, and he's maintained that the only poll that counts is the one on October 20th when Vancouver casts its ballot for its new mayor and new city council. Representing Vancouver's oldest civic party, the Nonpartisan Association, or NPA, quite possibly your next mayor of Vancouver, a true self-made man, Mr. Ken Sim. Kenny, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you uh, for having me here. Thanks for being here. I I really do appreciate it. And before we start, I want to highlight something. Although I have it on good authority that our paths have crossed in the past, being in similar circles, we formally met at a function in May. And you were there. You were very popular because you had just gotten the NPA nomination. Mm -hmm. And I came up to you and I said, hey, Mr. Sim, can I have two minutes of your time? (laughs) And before I had lined up a studio, before I even came up with a name for this podcast, I pitched you this idea. And you were in, then and there, and you're here now. You're a man of your word. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. And uh, absolutely, you know, um, I, you know, through my travels, um, through my journey through life, there have been so many people that have been helpful to me and have given me advice or given me an opportunity. And so whenever anyone comes up to me, I, I see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I see me in them, and, right. you know, why wouldn't we pay it forward? Well, I appreciate that, and, you know, I think it, it does show your character, and it shows the type of open mind that you have that's not only made you successful in business, but makes you a candidate worth considering, 
in this upcoming municipal election. So let's talk about your your foray into politics. You're obviously very successful in business. Why why move from that and why get into politics and why are you running? You know that I get asked that question all <laughs> the time. And, you know, I and I can crack some jokes, but the reality is for me this is deeply personal. Mm-hmm. I have family I have friends, I have coworkers, I have people that I mentor um, at UBC, SFU, um, other businesses through the CPA program. They're all leaving town. Mm. And I have four boys. Uh, my eldest boy turned 17 about three weeks ago. And he doesn't see an opportunity for him in the city. And he doesn't necessarily want to stay in the city, um, you know, when he goes to school or and, sure. and, and later on in life. Um the career prospects are looking a little bleak. Um, being able to afford a place to live, it's looking pretty bleak and yeah. unattainable. And then uh, what people aren't even talking about is the buzz. You know, I get it from my 17-year-old son who actually wants to live in the States now because it's more exciting. Like the, the cities are vibrant and we're not even talking hmm. about that stuff. Interesting. And so, yeah, yeah. When when did you start thinking about this and when did you just start, I mean, you're saying it's personal, so when did it come to a point that you were like, I have to get involved in politics to help change what's happening here. Yeah, I, I would say it, it started to happen in, well, maybe two years ago, the okay. seed was sort of planted, but I didn't really think about it in terms of myself running for mayor. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, the, the city um, is going in a direction that I didn't really think was the best direction. Mm-hmm. And it, it was getting progressively worse. Um and so, you know, I sort of stewed on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then come this past April, uh, things started to heat up a little bit. Um, various people were encouraging me to run. Um, and, you know, I, I thought long and hard. And I can tell you, I had my doubts. I thought, yeah, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a straight shooter. It's not shooter. for everyone. I, yeah. I'm a straight shooter. <laughs> the one thing people will get from me is, you know, Whereas they may not agree with what I have to say, mm-hmm. they know what I say is what I actually mean. And so when I when I was uh, thinking of running, there were a couple of times where I said, no, absolutely not. Why would I subject <laughs> myself to this pain? Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a dirty business in terms of, you know, it, it, we know it gets ugly. <clears throat> sure. Um, and there's a big personal sacrifice, but the city's worth it. Mm-hmm. And our friends and family and our businesses are worth it. Vancouver's mm-hmm. worth it. I, I I had lots of opportunities to leave the city, and I actually did leave a couple of times, um, right. you know, for work. And every time I left, I, I got homesick. Yeah. And I wanted to come back. And so I did come back. And so now I've spent 45 of my 47 years in Vancouver. I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere, <laughs> but I do want my friends and family to be here. Sure. Um, and people that I meet. So that's, I hope, hopefully I answered your an, uh, question. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I guess just to, to add to this is, you know, were, were you ever politically minded or politically involved before? I mean, you've given sort of the two years where you thought about running for office, but were, were you involved before? Or was it just something that you kept up with being an entrepreneur in this city? I, yeah, behind the scenes, I've been um, a little active. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, stepping back, I've always voted. Sure. You know, um, anyone who's been, um, I, I think people forget how fortunate we are where we can actually vote. Regardless of who we support, we can vote and we don't have to live in fear. Mm-hmm. 
And that's an amazing gift that a lot of people give their lives for around the world. And we just, we have this gift. And so I've never squandered that gift. And I even take my boys, um, you know, my wife and I, we take our boys um, and we show them how to, how to, how we vote. Mm. And um, even um, my son, he actually uh, worked for um, elections uh, BC. Oh, great. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and so, you know, it, it, it runs deep. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've always supported good government. Um Regardless of, of the party, I sure. believe in good government, and um, you know, I, behind the scenes, I, I do support. But I've never um, run for office per se. Yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah, cool. Uh, you know, one of the amazing things about people like you, and I'm going to give my dad a shout out as well, but people like my father as well. He listens to this show. I, I think you guys don't get enough credit for what you are, and that's being job creators. And you're job creators on the basis of your own financial risk. And I think that's something that's truly special and it should be celebrated. Um, we should recognize this accomplishment of being able to create something that creates employment as a big plus for, for someone who wants to run for office. I mean, you understand cash flow and, and financial statements. And especially on a municipal level, I think you sort of need finance wonks. At least I think so. So, so let me throw this to you in response to people that say, in response to people that say that uh, you have very little political experience, what in your professional life has equipped you to become the mayor of Vancouver? You know, I, once again, I, I get that question a lot and, you know, I, and I, I don't want to necessarily, uh, I, I think we have labels for everything. You know, you have, um, government and then you have this thing called business mm -hmm. And the reality is we're just a bunch of organizations with people. Mm -hmm. And so there actually is no difference. At, at City Hall, you have a bunch of people that are trying to get something done. Um, and you have, you know, different stakeholders with different objectives. Um, and in, in reality, um, well, when, I, when I look at my own experience, for example, at, at Nurse Next Door, like you mentioned, we have 5,000 employees. Mm -hmm. Actually, we probably have more than that, um, but so 5,000 is a conservative number. It's, it's not a metric we track. And, you know, when, when you look at the city of Vancouver, you have, like, tons of employees as well. Like, yeah. you have thousands of employees. And so, you know, the, the organizations are actually very similar. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I actually feel... Um, feeling sorry is the, the wrong word. I can really empathize with the people that work at the city of Vancouver. I've spoken to thousands of people mm -hmm. um, over the last four months, and I can tell you, we have really good people at the city of Vancouver. Hmm. We really do. You know, there, there, there's the odd person that, you know, um, probably isn't, you know, doesn't work out too well. You know, you like can, any organization. Like any organization. Yeah. But the vast majority of people in uh, at City Hall um, are amazing. Mm -hmm. They're great. They're just working in a broken system right now. Yeah. And I feel, I feel badly for them because you have these people that are working in, in a not so optimal environment. And then we wonder why they struggle. Mm -hmm. Right. So you think it's more about maybe fixing processes or, or the way the organization runs as opposed to the actual people involved? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we all have to realize, um, if you look at all of our organizations, both for-profit and not-for-profit in the city of Vancouver, mm -hmm. we're struggling to find people. Right. Right. It's no different to the city of Vancouver. So to 
to have a bunch of people that are great, you know, to, you know, not celebrate them would be, in my mind, crazy. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things like, you know, you hear business people say you have to get the right people on the bus. But the bus also has to be functional, right? Yeah. The, bus, the yeah. bus has to be able to accelerate as well. Yeah. So yeah. it is definitely two-sided. Which political figure do you admire the most? This is this. Hopefully this is not one of these questions that you get all the time, but I am curious. <laughs> Actually, no. Um, I don't get that question uh, very often at Perfect. all. Perfect. It took me three tries. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would say Nelson Mandela. Really? Yeah. Okay. You know, here's a person who was imprisoned for mm-hmm. his beliefs and he stuck he stuck by his beliefs. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't an advocate of violence. Mm-hmm. And so he finally, you know, is freed, becomes the president of South, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, taking his ideology and pushing it on the entire country and having, you know, I don't know, some form of payback, so to speak, he actually, you know, embraced the whole nation. Mm-hmm. And the people that actually imprisoned him, he worked side by side with them. Mm-hmm. What a courageous person. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's it's wild. And, you know, and... One, one of the great figures of the 20th century, I would say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I get <laughs> That's goose, a good choice. I get goosebumps <laughs> thinking about that. And so, you know, I, when I look at Vancouver and I look at BC and I actually look at our country, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's... Uh, Right now, it feels like politics is very divisive. Mm-hmm. And how pe- politicians get elected is they try to divide the public. Um, I can tell you, you know, I know people across the city, and there's probably more things, like 95% of things unite us. Sure. And so why are we dividing our city? Yeah. You know, I, I can tell you right now, every single person that's running for council or mayor loves the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, wants to, you know, tackle affordability, mm-hmm. doesn't like congestion, um, wants to make a dent, wants to improve, you know, um, stuff that's going on with the downtown east side and, you know, from a broader perspective, mental health and addictions across our city. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they want their kids to live here. Um, you know, they want to be able to live in their homes. Right? Sure. Like literally every single counselor, candidate, parks board counselor, uh, candidate, school board, and mayor. No, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. And, and it shows in the rhetoric and the platitudes. Everyone's saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, platforms are different. But when we're talking about end goals and results, yeah. everyone's talking about making Vancouver more affordable. Everyone's talking about making Vancouver uh, a model example of a green city, yeah. right? There's there's so many things that everyone agrees upon with regards to the the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of how you get there. Yeah, and I, I think that's the big dis- distinction in this election. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, based on all the Vancouverites I've spoken to, we can all agree on those issues. It's how do we actually get there and who is the person and who is the team that can actually has the best opportunity and the best skill set to get us there. Sure. You know, I at the end of the day, ideas are great. Um, it's the execution that's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about your team for a little bit. And let's talk about the NPA. In this election, I find it strange that for an opposition party, a party that's not governing, the NPA is the aim for a lot of political attacks. I mean, there's this big emphasis from progressives to unite and defeat 
your party, the NPA, which is usually rhetoric that's saved for incumbent parties. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, I mean, what do you think the NPA represents and what do you want it to represent? And, and do you feel it's misrepresented in the public eye? Yeah, well, yes. And what I would say, it's not all progressives that mm-hmm. feel that way. It's only half. Okay. <laughs> the other half of the progressives are at the NPA, right? Right. <laughs> that, know, that, that's just the reality. Well said. And so, you know, I think anyone who attacks anyone without knowing who those people are, mm-hmm. well, first, we don't believe in attacking people. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think that's bad form. I've never done it. Um, our team won't do it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I do find it kind of bizarre, but I guess that's how old style politics work. And like I said, um, I'd rather unite the place than divide the place because I have friends right across the city. I have friends that, you know, um, have incredibly different views than I do. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that should be celebrated. Sure. Absolutely. You know, like if you go to other countries right now, not to mention any of them, <laughs> um, people are afraid to talk about their views. Mm-hmm. They're being ostracized or they're being bullied. So I think it's great. Um, but I, I do, I, I do think it is a little bizarre how, you know, people are trying to label us as not being progressive. If, you know, I just look at our council slate. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, nine people running we have six women running wow okay um and it wasn't because we're trying to fill a quota we just like there are six great individuals that happen to be women that are running Mm -hmm. and in fact in my business at nurse next door our entire senior executive team except for one person is a woman really okay and at at at, uh, rosemary rock salt all our stores are led by women it just happened by chance yeah right and so um i don't even think it's being progressive, I just think it is what it is. Mm-hmm. When you look at the um, the ethnicity of like our um, candidates, it's all over the map. Like I don't even think in terms of ethnicity. Sure, you know, because I grew up in Vancouver and it's a melting pot. But if people want to, if if the alleged progressives are making it an issue, well, we have ethnic uh, diversity, sexual orientation diversity, uh, socioeconomic diversity. You know, we have a bus driver running for school board. Hmm. Like so, when you look at our slate of councillors and park and school board, um, it really represents the entire city. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I was mentored by a guy by the name of Milton Wong. Um, and you know, he was the most socially responsible, socially progressive entrepreneur you would ever meet. And I think, uh, I forget the name of it. I think he won the city of Vancouver freedom medal or something. You you can Google it. Um, that's not given to everyone. Like he, he did so much for our community. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the benefit of mentoring. He was my mentor um, for almost two decades. Wow. And, you know, he was the chairman of our company. And I I met him in 93 when I was just coming out of university. And, Hmm. you know, I I couldn't find a job or the job that I wanted. And so, you know, he he actually, not knowing me from a hole in the wall, um, sat down with me. Yeah. And he gave me an hour of his time. That's so cool. It is so cool. And so, you know, I do the same thing. And it's not because I have to. It's because I want to. I want to pay it forward. I want to be like Milt Wong. If I could be one-tenth or one-one-hundredth of Milt Wong, I would consider my life a success. Wow. Wow. He was just an amazing guy. And so, you know, when I I hear these comments by the alleged, you know, progressives per se, I, I just find it funny how... You know, people can attack people, not 
having never met them, mm-hmm. having done no research as to who I am or who we are. Um, and if they did, uh, they would have no basis to have those attacks, mm-hmm. you know, and on this campaign here and how we carry our lives, we're not going to attack anyone. Um, we'll, you know, we'll disagree with ideas, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not going to attack anyone. In fact, you don't strike me as a type. You're, no, you're so nice. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I, I just think it's, you know, like, why can't you be nice? I've actually reached out to uh, most of the candidates and I've, okay. I've had conversations with, you know, um, you know, people at the Green Party, like Adrian Carr, mm-hmm. um, cool. you know, uh, Michael Weeb. Um, we, you know, we ran into some people from, yes, we've spoken to a lot of the mayoral candidates. And mm-hmm. I can tell you right now, a lot of these individuals are nice people. Yeah. Like, why would we attack them? I, I think it's amazing how, like, if, if anyone puts their name in the hat to do public service, um, I think is phenomenal. I actually want to thank everyone who's done that. I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it, it's for the benefit of our city. So for why, sure. why wouldn't we celebrate it? Why, why are we attacking people? And I think a, a diversity of ideas, it, you know, reflects upon a healthy democracy. Mm-hmm. Right. If everyone's sort of the same. It's, uh, that's not much of a choice, but certainly we have a lot of people, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different ideas. It makes things interesting and it makes things vibrant for, for what we want to accomplish here. Absolutely. I want to touch back on, on, on one of the questions there. I know I, I threw a lot in there in that last question, but what should the public know about the NPA? What, what does the NPA represent? You sort of touched on candidate diversity, Mm -hmm. but as a party, as a whole, what, what does the NPA stand for? You know, if you look at the actual name, it's the Nonpartisan Association. Mm-hmm. We're nonpartisan, so you know we don't. We're not going to bring ideology to City Hall, mm-hmm. right? We're just a bunch of people who have a deep love for the city. Who want to do right by the city, and we want to depoliticize the whole process. You know, it, you know, you you don't have to be, you know on one side of the political spectrum or the other side of the political spectrum. I think what we want to achieve here is, uh, you know, fiscal responsibility, but being very socially progressive. And mm-hmm. we just want to, you know, we just want to bring our city back. Sure. Right. Yeah. Cool. Touching on depoliticization, there was a little bit of drama <clears throat> in starting in May with the NPA. There was an exodus of some elements of the party um, that bec- it was a small faction that became Yes Vancouver, although most of the people that left are now running as independents and mm-hmm. might not actually be associated with that party. Yep. How does the NPA look today? Is the NPA united after what I, I think, at least what was portrayed in the media, to be a dramatic mayoral nomination? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess there's two parts to that. First, you know... Up until June 3rd, I was just another candidate mm-hmm. running. Um, and so, you know, I, I was kind of this uh, swear, uh, fish swimming upstream, per se, and I was just trying to win the nomination. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the stuff that happened with the NPA, and, you know, there, there were some board issues that were going on, and, you know, uh, there was a green light committee that was, you know, making opinions and stuff as to who should be running or who who should have the right to run. And it was actually a pretty thorough process. Really, that had nothing to do with me per se, because I was just, I was just, I was just another candidate. Um, and I know regardless, you know, obviously I won the nomination, but whoever won the nomination 
really would represent the NPA going forward mm-hmm. after that. And so I can only speak to what the re- the NPA represents since I've been, you know, elected or uh, I won the nomination. Fair enough. Once again, you know what? Um, socially progressive, fiscally responsible. Um, you know, if you just look at my background, I just surround myself with people that I like um, who have, you know, great core values and who have a deep love for the city. Mm-hmm. And that, that's it. And so that's what we stand for. And, you know, if you look at our, our candidates, they're absolutely amazing. We had, you know, we had some hard choices to make. We had so many great candidates, um, you know, seek, you know, one of the spots. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I liken it to, and obviously this isn't a Team Canada thing. We're not Team Canada. Sure. <laughs> but I like to use it as an example because, you know, there are some parallels. Um, you know, when Team Canada selects their Olympic hockey team, mm-hmm. you know, there's always three or four players where you shake your head and it's like, wow, how come they're not on that team? Wow. Because yeah. the candidates are so good. So there were there were people who didn't make the cut. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because you're you're running a, a full slate. You're running nine people. We for could council. have we could have run thirteen. Yeah. Or Fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're running against each other at exa- that point. Right? Exactly. Right. And and I know there. You know, people say short slate or big slate. You know what? It's uh, we had great candidates. Sure. At the end of the day, you know, we have the former chief operating officer of the second largest credit union union or credit union in the province. Mm-hmm. You know, like. And that's just one of the many that we yeah. had. Um, as an example, um, we have two people, actually by coincidence, I've known for a couple of decades who've done amazing things in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, a, an existing uh, city councillor. We have a couple of people, uh, one on school boards and one on parks boards, um, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah Kirby Young and Lisa Dominato. Yeah. Um, you know, they wanted to run for council as well. And, you know, and they've done right by the city. So why wouldn't we give them the sure. opportunity? And they're great. And Melissa DeGenova as well. Yeah. Um, Kathy McGarrickle, she was the chief operating officer at uh, Coast Capital Savings. Hmm. Uh, Dave Grill, I've known for um, a couple of decades. He has his own energy business right now. Okay. Uh, Re- Rebecca Bly, I've known, you know, um, for almost twenty years as well. And you know, she's a, she's a coach. Um, you know, Jojo Kimpo. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, he's a, I guess he's like a paralegal. He'd be a a lawyer um, if he was in the Philippines. But and he came, he emigrated here and. Um, just a phenomenal guy. And then Carl, uh, Colleen Hardwick, um, her, her family roots, she's like, she's been in politics through her family since the age of 10. She probably knows more about <laughs> policy than anyone in the city. Wow. And I, I, I want to say that, um, with respect, cause I'm sure there's going to be a couple of people that say, no, this person knows more about poli- uh, policy in the city and yes. Okay. <laughs> right. But uh, like what I'm trying to say is, um, She's really deep. She actually understands not only the policy, but the history of all the policies that's happened in Vancouver over the last 40 years. Wow. And so... That's invaluable to have on your team, oh, right? Yeah. Right. And, and I haven't even started on parks or schools. So, you know, when, when you look at the quality of people that had stepped up, mm-hmm. um, and then there, there are people that, you know, didn't make the cut who, you know, in a, a different election, different time, they'd be our top candidate. Let wow. alone not making it right, like it, 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 it's nuts. Yeah. So, 
Well, your team's definitely playing for keeps. I mean, I know you you guys have caught in a, a little bit of flack for, for running nine candidates, but I think it just shows confidence and it shows that you have strong candidates that you're willing to run. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the fact that you had to cut candidates, I think, is is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into the actual issues. We've talked a little bit about you, a little bit about the party, but let's talk about the things that do matter to Vancouverites. Obviously, the number one issue in this city is housing affordability. Some might even say it's a it's a single issue election in a lot of ways. Before we get into your plan on tackling the housing affordability crisis, I want to hear it from you. What's the role of civic government with regards to regulating the housing market? Because there's a lot of things that the city simply doesn't control. It's controlled at a federal level. It's controlled at a provincial level. So I want to hear from you in terms of what does the city control when it comes to housing? Well, what the city, uh, the the two big levers that the city does have is one, permitting, mm-hmm. right? And really, um, I, I like to sort of talk about like permitting backlog. The fact that it takes two to seven years to get a permit, uh, for the most part, you know, there are exceptions where it's a little faster, and there are a lot of exceptions where it's longer. But mm-hmm. on average, it's about two to seven years. Um, th- that's a problem, and so that that's the one of the big levers that the city has to, you know, if we fix it or improve it. Um, will have a huge impact on affordability. Mm-hmm. And the second one is zoning, right? And, you know, um, how we zone the city will have an impact on affordability as well. Mm-hmm. When it comes to regulating, regulating everything else, you know, like I'm a straight shooter. Um, that's beyond my pay grade. Um, it's not my skill to know or have all the answers um, to complex issues like that. But what I do is... Uh, I think I'm pretty good at asking questions and then bringing on the right people to help come up with those, those answers. Sure. And and so, yeah. And the reason um, for that is, you know, once government gets involved in too many things, you know, you might have a nice little uh, impact, but then there, there are always unintended consequences that could make the situation worse. Mm -hmm. And so I I think government has to get really, uh, it has to be careful when they start to wade into regulating certain things. Fair enough. So based on that answer, I'm going to assume that your main tactics in in, uh, in dealing with this housing affordability crisis will be with regards to permitting and zoning. Those, that's the solution that you're yeah, absolutely. Those those are the two things. And the other thing we have to sort of think about as well is I, I know right now uh, affordability is in everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, any solution we come up with, we have to layer on transportation at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or what we're going to do is we, you know, we may uh, have significant improvements on affordability, but then we'll have a livability issue in five to 10 years. Right. You know, if we, if we don't think about our traffic patterns and how we're going to deal with traffic, um, while I love Hong Kong and Mumbai as an example, <laughs> I don't care for their traffic. No, fair enough. Right? And yeah. so, you know, we do run the risk if we don't think of these complex um, issues um, together from a holistic perspective, we could, you know, paint ourselves into a corner. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Now, I know... You know, everyone likes to say, okay, let's just cut red tape, which is it sounds like that's essentially what you're saying in terms of cutting down permitting times. What is the plan? What how are you, can this be done? Have we seen examples of it done before? I, I wanna I wanna hear a little bit more about your plan. Yeah, sure. Okay. So um I'm a, I'm a bit of a management workflow um geek. 
so to speak. <laughs> connoisseur, hey, connoisseur, aficionado, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Actually, there's a technical term. Uh, there's this thing called lean or Toyota production management systems. Right. And so I'm a lean certified black belt. And so we look at workflow big time. In fact, um, I travel around the world. I probably see 30 companies a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So I've been to Toyota, uh, Mitsubishi, Honda, FedEx in Memphis, Google, LinkedIn, uh, Tesla. Wow. I've, I've been to Daiwa House. I've seen them build houses in three months. Like okay. from you walk into a showroom, you pick out your custom house. Uh, that's earthquake proof, fireproof, and they literally. If you walk in on January twenty or second, uh, they they will say, "Well, yeah, you can move into your house on March 29th. Really? Yeah, yeah. And so, huh. and and so, when you look at the fact that we have to wait two to seven years for a permit, it just doesn't reconcile. Sure. So you know, I'm a big workflow guy. We can look at the workflow and and make improvements, and we don't actually have to go too far um, around the world to. Um, get some examples of better workflow. You mm-hmm. know, if you look at the city of Burnaby, um, there, there's this uh, a Safeway distribution um, site okay. that they had permitted in 14 months. Like a whole site <laughs> was permitted in 14 months, and that's just on the other side of boundary. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we've we've made our system just too complicated and there are ways of dialing it back. It's going to take a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And in the interim, there are there are some things that we can do to have some short wins or, or quick wins. Um, we can have some accelerated, um, you know, permits, you know, I- I- if it makes sense, if, if there are things that really, you know, after you wait nine months or 18 months or 22 months, you just get a rubber stamp right away. Why don't we just accelerate that process? Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is a business example, but it, it's one that's dear to my heart. There used to be um, a Thai restaurant on West 41st, okay, right in Carisdale, and there was a fire. And so, you know, luckily it, it didn't burn the building down or anything like that, but uh, they had to apply for a permit to fix their restaurant. Really? Yeah. And they waited and they waited Hmm. and they waited and then they went out of business. Wow. Yeah. And so people don't realize that, you know, we can talk about inefficiencies and make them better. There is a human cost to this. That family lost their business. People lost their livelihoods. They lost their jobs. They lost their ability to pay rent or pay their mortgage. Hmm. They lost their ability to put their kids through programs. And the community lost another, you know, you know, family business. Mm-hmm. And that should have been a rubber stamp. Like maybe I'm naive, but if you already have an existing restaurant and you're just trying to fix your existing restaurant, instead of putting someone through a queue, why aren't we saying, oh my God, here's a rubber stamp, bam, done. What else can we do to get you back on your feet? Mm-hmm. And so bringing the human element back to it, and I, I know that that's an overly simplistic example, but there are a lot of examples like that where sure. you, you sort of look at it and you go, well, why why do we have this process in the first place? And why can't we just you know approve certain things? We do that we start to get the ball rolling. And then mm-hmm. there are other processes where we go, well, do we even need this process in the first place? Why do we have this here? And then maybe we eliminate them after we like study it. And it doesn't take that long to study this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we start to like have all these wins and you wake up you know, 12 to 18 months later and the process is a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, let, let's talk a, a little bit more about 
businesses in this city. You sort, you've sort of just brought up a, a business example there. As a business person, obviously, you understand the importance of affordable housing to keep a workforce in your community. And I think that's something that does often get overlooked because it's not just about living here. If, if you live here, that's great. But you need functioning workplaces around you to make it a livable city, whether that's a grocery store or a mm -hmm. doctor's office mm -hmm. or a place where you work. How urgent is this housing affordability crisis for businesses in this city? Oh, it, I, you know, this is my own personal belief. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's pretty dire. Like it, it is, when you look, there, there are a lot of, um, you know, businesses in the hospitality industry mm -hmm. and restaurants. A lot of restaurants are struggling to keep people um, mm -hmm. or attract people. And you see it um, right now. There are a lot of, uh, you know, not a, a lot of, there are a lot of places that are actually um, scaling back their hours or they're shutting down because they really? can't get people into the city. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then from, you know, you know, when you, when you go to other industries and bigger businesses, it, it's hard to attract people, um, you know, get people to stay in Vancouver yeah. or to attract people from other parts of, uh, in Canada or the U S to come and work in Vancouver mm -hmm. because, you know, first the salaries aren't as high as they are in other markets, you know, and, and people take a discount to live in Vancouver. Sure. And I, I don't think that should be the case, but right now that is the case. Mm -hmm. um, and then houses are just so expensive. So if you're trying to attract someone um, to stay in Vancouver, a lot of people are saying, well, wait, I can make way more in Toronto or London, and then my house is going to cost half or a third as much. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, we've actually lost a lot of people already. I imagine so, right? And you, and you do hear that from certain sectors. I mean, you brought up um, hospitality, but I think even, even the tech sector is having issues bringing people into the city. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are tech companies that are outside of Vancouver proper. Mm -hmm. And one of their advantages is that they can attract people who live closer, who live closer to the actual office. Yeah. You know, eh. But it, I think it's uh, what I, I'm pretty passionate about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a government south of our border um, that is, you know, has policies in place where, you know, individuals from other around the world in the tech space mm -hmm. would rather set up in Vancouver than south of the border. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Fair but enough. we're making it really difficult because of the affordability issue. And so, you know, whereas we may be attracting, you know, some people here because of it, think of what could be if we actually nailed the affordability issue. Mm -hmm. We could actually become, you know, the next tech hub of North America. Sure. Right. That may not happen. Mm. You know, so affordability is a, a big issue. Um, I, I can tell you every day I speak to someone um, who has a couple of kids that are, let's say, 24, 28, and 32 and they're all, they're living across North America. They're not living in Vancouver anymore because of the better opportunities, or at least from a pay perspective, um, and they can afford homes. That's yeah. a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. You've also promised to be the most business-friendly mayor. And that's a phrase or a term that I think some people get a little skeptical about. Yeah. I want to give you the opportunity to explain exactly what that means for you and, and why is that important. Yeah, well, you know, it's 
It, it, it's pretty simple at the end of the day. It's super right. important because most people are employed by businesses. Mm-hmm. That's reality. And it's not big business, it's small businesses, you know. And so, you know, your local corner store or your local clothing store or, you know, the sandwich store, little restaurant, what have you, they all employ people. Mm-hmm. And if we don't support them, they're not going to exist. That's just the reality. And if we don't have those businesses, guess what? Everything else in this province relies on them. So, you know, if we don't have our businesses, we don't have the tax revenue to pay for our social programs, sure. our hospitals, our public schools, our roads. So it's a it's a big deal. Do you feel that aside from the housing affordability crisis, which has created a, a certain shortage of workforce, do you think that the city right now is not very business friendly? Yeah, it's been my personal experience. It hasn't been uh, very personal uh, or business friendly. How so? For sure. Um, you know, just waiting for a permit. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it seems like a simple thing, but here's the real cost. Um, and this, so this example is not in the city of Vancouver. Sure. Um, it was actually in Richmond, but it, it, it could have happened in Vancouver. And I have multiple examples of where it's happened to other people in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to personalize this story. So Absolutely. we're in Richmond and uh, we opened up a Rosemary Rock Salt. And it should have been opened up on August the 26th. And so we hired all our people. Yeah. (laughs) And guess what? We didn't get our occupancy um, or health permit um, till December 19th. Wow. So So we carried all the salaries. Five months? Yeah, we carried. So we, we hired people. And, you know... We're asking people to give us, you know, a part of their lives. Mm-hmm. And people have to make rent and pay, you know, for their, you know, their kids' programs, what have you. And so when we hire people, we treat them really well. And so mm-hmm. the right thing to do is say, well, no, we're not going to lay you off and then ask you to come back in four months. Because we didn't know, actually, you know, was it going to be uh, September, October, November? So all along the process, we kept all our people. Yeah. And so we, we paid for payroll for four months. Now, wow. we're lucky because we have a company called Nurse Next Door um, that helps us, you mm-hmm. know, like our, because I own, you know, I'm the biggest shareholder of it. Of course, um, yeah. You know, we can support we can support that. How would a 29-year-old, you know, individual who wants to start their first business, mm-hmm. how can they do that? And so, and most companies can't do that. Actually, you know, Contrary to popular belief, most small businesses are living in poverty. Mm. I think, you know, 87% of small businesses um, are literally um, going from paycheck to paycheck. They're barely making ends meet. Really? That's just the reality. Wow. 87% in Vancouver? No, that's... Or Canada? No, that's uh, that's a North American North stat. America. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. So, yeah. It, and mm. so... But they, they all pay taxes. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I look at Rosemary Roxalt, for example, um, before we make a single dollar of profit, all our sales we have to pay GST on. Yeah. All of the people that we employ, um, guess what? We pay EI, CPP, WCB, um, payroll taxes, and the list goes on and on. And so you, if you add up all those taxes, 
Um, they happen regardless if we're profitable or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important for people to realize that we need to support our small businesses because they have such a huge impact on all the things that we want to achieve socially. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm like I'm very socially progressive. I believe in a very strong education system um, and healthcare system and social programs. Um, I sat on the the board of the learning partnership that celebrates, um, you know, our our nation's fifty best principles, and uh, welcome to kindergarten. Wow! As an example, okay. um, I walk around the downtown east side three to four times a year, and we never talked about it before mm-hmm. because it, it was never a marketing thing. But a bunch of families would get together with their kids, and we'd go down and uh, hand out bananas, bagels, socks, and feminine hygiene products. And mm. but the most important thing we gave is identity, we would actually talk to people because that's the one thing that's missing in the downtown east side. Right. Um, I guess the point I'm trying to make though is none of these support programs can happen if we don't have our businesses Mm -hmm. that are supported. Um, You know, we won't have any police officers. We won't have any nurses. We won't have any doctors because guess what? There's going to be, no one's going to be able to pay for it. Yeah. Right. And so that's why I'm very proud to support businesses because it's just it's great for our city our province and our nation cool cool well i appreciate that answer (laughs) one of the other things you've also prioritized is mobility in this city Mm -hmm. what does your plan look like to ease congestion in this city. <laughs> Usually people say, what are you going to do about the bike lanes? Oh, oh uh, I, I was going to get to that. Oh, you, you can start that? there. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I bring that up? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's 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 funny because meeting Vancouverites, and I've met a lot of Vancouverites, the one issue that every single person has an opinion on is bike lanes. Yeah. Um, so... You and know, unfortunately, I think it's being exploited as a wedge issue as well. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you have one mayoral candidate who's, whose whole candidacy is kind of running on bike lanes or ripping them up, I guess. Yeah, look, like I said, we're not going to attack anyone um, personally. Um, I do think the city of Vancouver is a lot more complicated than bike lanes. Mm-hmm. Right? I and would so, agree. And so we have some real issues to address. And as mayor, those are the issues I'm going to address. Mm-hmm. Um, as it comes to transportation, we are planning to have an independent audit of congestion around the entire city. Okay. And it won't take long. It like, you know, running a business, if it took four years, we'd be out of business. That's the same methodology exactly. we apply. Um, yeah. And so it's going to be one not based on ideology. So we're not going to have someone who's pro bike lanes or, or pro taxi industry or pro bus industry or pro, you know, cars. Mm-hmm on it, it's going to be an objective look at how we move around the city. Um, you know, one interesting fact that I have learned um, while running for office is, did you know the number of cars on the streets of Vancouver have not increased in the last 20 years? Is that true? It is true, because I actually ran it one by a reporter, and I said, I don't know if this uh, stat is true, so don't quote me on it, but this is what I've heard. And she said, yeah, no, that's, that's a well-known fact. But then, but congestion has grown. Absolutely. And <laughs> so, so you got to walk me through this now. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny because when you actually look at everything, um, once you get beyond the emotional um, attachment to, let's say, bike lanes, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a pretty hot topic right now. Let's look at everything that affects traffic. Left-hand turns. 
That's, right. that's a big deal. In fact, uh, as a side note, did you know UPS won't let their trucks do left-hand turns? At all? No, because it's bad for traffic. Huh. Like it, it, it's inefficient. So they actually do a series of right-hand turns. I'm mm. sure there's an exception, but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, huh. So you, you look at the pedestrian-controlled lights. So you go down Camby Street. Every single intersection has a pedestrian-controlled light. Mm. Uh, you look at how we're enforcing how people cross the street. Before, when I was growing up as a kid, when it, when the hand, when the red hand came up, you stopped. Mm-hmm. People are running. Um, even now, we have a countdown clock. When the thing's hitting three, two, one, people are running across. Run. Yeah, you can't make what? that turn. No one can make that turn. Yeah. Um, the way we park our construction trucks um, when they're construction sites, the way we actually dig up our roads. Um, I can tell you, and a lot of people in Vancouver have seen this in all their neighborhoods. A lot of roads are blocked off for construction, but then you don't see any um, work being done there for months. Mm-hmm. And so when you add everything up, you know, that's the real conversation. It's actually not a bike lane issue. It's a congestion issue. And then what yeah. can we do to alleviate congestion? That's that's the conversation that we want to have. And then there are a bunch of moving parts because guess what? Our city is going to get more complicated in the future. Of course. Yeah, look at what they're doing at Oak Ridge. Mm-hmm. Like all the v- development they're going to have there and at the JC or the Jewish Community Center as well and across the street at the old uh, bus depot mm-hmm. as an example how are we going to actually incorporate traffic patterns into that yeah um, there's going to be construction you know with uh, the extension of the um, you know the, the the subway to Arbutus mm-hmm. as an example and then you know you have university traffic as well you know the list goes on and on so this this audit though that you're proposing it is it going to analyze where the, the con- congestion is the worst and at what times, or is it also going to be providing recommendations in terms of how to alleviate? Oh, yeah. No, it, look, <laughs> we, <laughs> we want the problem. Uh, we want to identify the problem, but we also want the solutions as sure. well. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it won't be based on ideology. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's the big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, as mayor of Vancouver, I will be representing the residents of Vancouver. And the residents of Vancouver, they just want to get about the city in a more efficient way. Yeah. And so how do we do that? Fair enough. Yeah. So so right now it's it's uh, not a yes or not a no in terms of ripping out any bike lanes. Oh, no. Hey, look, I'll, I'll go on the record. Like, I'm not trying to avoid sure. the question. No, no, no. I'm, just cu- I'm just curious. Um, yeah. No, I look, at the end of the day, there are only a couple of bike lanes that, you know, anecdotally, I actually have an issue with. Mm-hmm. Um the the first one is in front of uh, the hospital, right? Right. I think a lot of people agree. Yeah. Look, I, I'm a but full disclosure. I'm a cyclist. I also drive a car. I use car to go. Okay. I take the Canada line and I walk around the city. And so um, I like all modes of transportation. And there are times when I can't stand all modes of transportation. Um, so the the first one, yeah, uh, in front of the hospital, um, it's a public safety issue, mm-hmm. right? And so you know. We'll talk to the experts who can actually tell us what it actually means. But I've I've spoken to a lot of first responders and people that actually work um, at the hospital and surrounding you know healthcare facilities, and yeah, they all find it problematic. Mm-hmm. The second one I have a challenge with. Once again, I'm a cyclist as well. Is the one that's proposed on the Canby Street Bridge. Well, it's mm. not proposed. You can see it now. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the east side of the Canby Street Bridge, the the pedestrian walkway there. It's wider than most, um, you know, if you go to Southern California, you, you have all these um, 
um, paths along the beach where yeah. cyclists and pedestrians, they coexist and high volume of traffic. I've seen them and they're, they're about the same width as the, the current sidewalk on the east side of the Camby Street Bridge. Hmm. And so, you know, are we putting a bike lane there based on ideology? Like, why can't we use that sidewalk? I just want us to take a look at that. Yeah. Right? Like, in, and if, if there's a real reason why it makes sense, then fine. But I, I think it's important to, uh, you know, recognize that as mayor of Vancouver, um, I'll inherit an infrastructure that includes bike lanes mm-hmm. on October 21st. And like I would approach anything else, you know what? What's done is done. How do we move forward? Mm -hmm. And how do we improve traffic flow? And if it means that there's a bike lane that doesn't make sense there, then we ask ourselves the next question. Okay, well, and I'm going to make up a number here. Like, let's say it will cost $5 million to rip out a certain bike lane. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, now we have a $5 million issue there but could we spend $5 million somewhere else in the transportation network that would actually be a better investment? Right. And then we, we literally just make the best investments and it's not ideological. It's not, you know, you know, it, it's not personal. We're just going to do, make the best decisions. And I think Vancouverites know that like, that's how they want the city run. Absolutely. And right? I think that's, that's actually a testament to the entrepreneurial mindset because it's not just the cost benefit of one particular issue it's looking at the opportunity costs of where else that money could go yeah and is there more value to tackle the same problem putting that money somewhere else yeah right and and you don't really you don't hear about that much i think a lot of people just talk about cost benefit in terms of this myopic issue without thinking of well that's public money that can also be used for a lot of other things and maybe those things have more value right Absolutely. And and I, I like how you said it's public money. What people have to realize is every single resident of Vancouver, whether they're a homeowner or not, they're paying those taxes. Mm-hmm. And so we should spend them wisely. We have a responsibility to make sure that we do what's in the best interest of the residents of Vancouver and their tax dollars. Mm-hmm. For sure. Before we move on to the campaign, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about any other priorities that, that you might have in your platform that I haven't covered. We talked about housing affordability a little bit. We just talked about congestion. Uh, we talked about being business friendly in the city. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring up in terms of your priorities? Uh, yeah, there, there, are, there are a couple. Um, one in, and, uh, you know, if you Google um, my name in Georgia Strait, um, there was an article written six years ago, way before <laughs> I was running for office. <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about the downtown east side mm-hmm. and actually it's a broader issue. It's mental health and addictions across mm-hmm. the entire city. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of resources that go into the downtown east side, uh, every single day. Like it's, it, it's a million dollars a day. And in fact, really? oh yeah. And in fact, that's a conservative estimate. I've heard numbers in, in upwards of a billion dollars a year, wow. regardless, the, the number's mm-hmm. big and you have a lot of people that care. Mm-hmm. Um, that are leaders in their communities that are trying to, you know, address this issue. And so it's not a lack of resources and it's not a lack of, you know, bright people um, who care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that the issue there is, you know, um, coordination and political will. And so as mayor of Vancouver, one of the things I've committed to is spending a day a month down in the downtown east side um, during my entire mandate um, 
you know, uh, to improve the situation. It's not going to be solved. You know, I'm not going to give false hope out there and say, hey, you know, we're going to magically solve it because the the issue is way too complex. If it was that simple, we would have solved it. Well, and someone already gave that promise and it didn't do so well. Yeah, you know, but we can make a dent. Yeah, we I I, I do believe we can improve it. And Mm -hmm. you know what, we're we're going to we're going to work hard and we're going to try to improve it because it, it, it's super important. I've known, I know three people personally that ended up in the downtown east side, and two, two of mm-hmm. them were no longer with us. And you know what? Everyone knows someone from the downtown east side, whether they realize it or not, sure. because we went to school with people. We have family members and friends and, you know, people end up down there. And so that, that's something um, that I'm passionate about. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, and, and no one's ta- I find it kind of weird. No one's really talking about it. But seniors, hmm. you know, we have a lot of, you know, issues with that affect seniors that we're not talking about. And Maybe, this is your area of expertise. This, this is my area of expertise, you yeah. know, and, it, and so, you know, um, you know, our, our, our seniors, um, it, it sounds like they, they don't have a voice in this election right now. Hmm. And that's, that has to change because one, we have a lot of seniors uh, here and two, a lot of us over the next 10 to 20 years will become seniors mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, the issues are small, the issues are large. Uh, give you an example. So as I talked about, you know, um, pedestrian controlled lights at intersections and how it affects congestion. The counter to that is, you know, like I said, I, I've spoken to, well, now it's uh, 5,200 different, in, more than 5,200 individuals in Vancouver since I, I, I started this run. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, and, and sorry, yeah. just, just to interject, um, so that what's that time period then, 5,200 since? Since uh, April 11th. <sighs> That's a lot of people. What does that work out to per day? Oh God, I don't know, but I, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, I, I've been to events where I'm speaking to 150 people yeah, um, or 50 people or, or a coffee shop with 40 here or reaching out to small groups of three people and you just add it all up. It's, of course, it, yeah. It's been nuts. Incredible. But, um, you know, back to pedestrian controlled lights, you, mm-hmm. know, um, you know, we can't just rip them all out because you know what, there's a public safety issue there as well. Of course. And then as it relates to seniors, the seniors that I'm talking to, they're like, Ken, the lights change too quickly mm. and it's actually terrifying to cross the street. Yeah. And so, you know, we have a lot of complex issues and there are going to be some trade-offs and stuff, but we have to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know, you know, we, we, you know, people are talking about millennials and affordability. That, like that, that, that's most of the conversation. Sure. Affordability affects seniors as well. There are a lot of people getting kicked out of their homes because they can't afford to live them in, in them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, our seniors, they're losing their community, um, you know, and, and they want places where they can go to. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that that hasn't been part of the conversation. And, you know, I, I've spent the last two decades of my life advocating for seniors, trying to get them to stay at home. We actually created um, uh, this thing called the Dream On Foundation um, that's effectively Make-A-Wish for seniors. Um, okay. Wow. Yeah. And so, like, you and, know. Uh, who, sorry, who created this foundation? Uh, a bunch of us at Nurse Next Door. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, it was, so it was a through Nurse Next Door. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so it's cool. Like, um, if you ever hit our website... Um, I think it's dreamonfoundation.com or something, but, um, you know, just, just Google it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, there's this one gentleman, um, you know, he flew um, planes during the Second World War. 
and um, one of our one of our caregivers found found this out, and so that set in motion a bunch of events where we actually, you know, got a a, a World War II plane, um, you know, in his you know we we brought him to the plane, and he actually went into the plane really? and, and he cool. flew and then he was doing barrel rolls and really? stuff. And so, yeah. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I, I, the point of it is, you know, um, no one's talking about seniors. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope the selection, um, we do focus on seniors as well because mm. um, it'd be a shame if we didn't. Sure. Fair enough. That, that's a very interesting point. And I, I just want to make the comment that everything – Everything that you're talking about is sounds like it's personal, right? Like yeah. you said that at the start of the show, and everything that you sort of touched on, you've added this personal experience. You're not just doing a, a talking point or or anything like that. So it's it's pretty cool to see that you know you said that, and it shows in in terms of the issues that you talk about as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. I want to talk about the campaign. Okay. Um, and we're going to get into a topic that's a little radioactive, but I think it's an important one to get into. Okay. I think the media has racialized this election on several occasions. And sometimes it's innocuous, and sometimes I think it's a little more problematic. Because sometimes they treat ethnic groups as monolithic voting blocks. There's been a lot of emphasis on you perhaps being the first Chinese-Canadian mayor in Vancouver. And I think that would be wonderful, especially given the historic roots of the Chinese community in this city in this province, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But you're certainly not running on that um, that pitch that, that you want to be the first Chinese-Canadian mayor. You're saying you want to be the mayor, right? Yeah. Now, there was an article in the Georgia Strait, which um, I guess they interviewed you or they asked you for comment, and they asked you if you speak Mandarin and Cantonese, and you said you spoke English and French. And they took that, and then they looked at the rest of the, the candidates from the NPA, and they said that no one else speaks Mandarin or Cantonese. And from that, they created this logic where because you couldn't go directly into Chinese media or at least speak ancestral Chinese languages on Chinese language media, you were somehow not connecting with the Chinese community. And I remember reading that and just thinking, like, how is this printed? Because as a visible minority, I thought that was deeply offensive. It, it, it's not even a judgment on you. It's a judgment cast on the entire ethnic community. Mm-hmm. And it's it's ignoring the fact that these communities, whether it's South Asian or Chinese Canadian, we're diverse. We're all over the map. Mm-hmm. And there's some of us that have, you know, closer ties to the homeland. And there's some of us that, that maybe don't. And we've been here for generations. Yeah. I want to give you a chance to respond to some of this racialization and how you feel about it as as a visible minority. Yeah, um, you know, I, I I actually think it would be cool if I was the fi- first Chinese Canadian mayor. Absolutely, I, there's, um, I don't think there's anything yeah, wrong yeah, with yeah. that. <laughs> you know, and I'd, I'd find it really cool if I was mayor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's um, I've never taken that stuff too seriously but I can understand how people feel mm-hmm. and you know I, to give you some context um, my dad um, 
he wanted me to speak Cantonese and Mandarin. My dad actually spoke five languages. He spoke Cantonese, Mandarin, Daiju, Thai, and English. Wow. Yeah. And so... <laughs> and you, you know, only speak two? Uh, yeah. Come and, on. Yeah. And, and my French is a little rusty. It, it takes me a while to get back into it. Sure. But uh, growing up in Vancouver in the 70s, you know, at, at the time, you know, most of my friends were Caucasian, mm-hmm. you know, and I had some um, South Asian friends as well and you know there there's like a couple of you know Chinese people but for the most part people you know everyone spoke English mm-hmm. and so I I didn't want to speak Cantonese sure. and, yeah and it makes sense yeah and you know what and I regret it to this day when I turned about 22 23 it's like oh I wish I listened to dad mm-hmm. and so I'm sure he's chuckling wherever he is right now <laughs> right like I, I have a laugh about it and I, I I talk to my kids and you know I tell them you should speak learn how to speak Mandarin Punjabi and Spanish Wow, and okay. um, you know they're they have no interest uh, <laughs> whatsoever, yeah. And they're going to regret it when they you know when they wisen up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I would agree with you. You know, so when I talk to different ethnic groups, everyone has the same issues. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so to label one group versus another, like that's not how we interact as people anymore. Mm-mm. We interact on socioeconomic terms or interests in sports or interests in the arts um, or what we do for a career or having dogs or whatever. And so, you know, I guess, you know, when I grew up, we grew up in a melting pot. So I actually don't see people as South Asian or Jewish or Chinese or Caucasian or whatever. It's just, you know, there's Fred, you know, there's Ranch, you know. And And I think that that's a great way to put it because when you make – friends or you're making a, a social circle, you're not really thinking to yourself, okay, I need, you know, I need a gay friend or I need uh, a South Asian friend or a Chinese friend. Uh, you're just making friends. Yeah. And, but for some reason, because it's politics, we have to talk about these quotas. And I think, you know, we are a diversity. You, we are a diverse city. You do have a wide array of diverse candidates that are running. Mm-hmm. And I've even pointed out that when you look at the South Asian candidates running for council, it's it's amazing that I think there's five or six of them, and they're across the political spectrum. Yeah, right. And they all are worthy, just like every other candidate, of have yeah. of people taking a look at them and seeing what they're about. Yeah. And if one gets in, great. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, and to your point, like if we actually sort of voted on ethnic lines, those five candidates would be in one party. Yeah. Right. right? And, and so, like, <laughs> you know, we, we travel, like, we, we sort of were attracted to people that are like us. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, skin color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, some people will still make an issue of it. Um, sure. But, and I, and I want to be clear, you know, I don't think that George Strait or Charlie Smith, who wrote the article, are racist by any means. That's no. not what I'm suggesting. I'm just thinking that that type of thinking is problematic. And I think when we see that type of thinking, we do have to call it for what it is and say, you know, it doesn't really refract, reflect the realities, the diversities, and how complicated the city is. Yeah. It is hard to define what a Chinese Canadian is, well, just I, as it would be hard to define what a Canadian is. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, just just on the, the Chinese side, for example, there's probably like seven or eight different groups in the Chinese community. Like you have, yeah, absolutely. You have people that Chinese people in the Chinese community that have been here for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. You have um, the Hong Kong Chinese that came 
um, here, um, you know, in the 80s. You have mm-hmm. the Taiwanese Chinese that came here a little after. You have the mainland Chinese that came, you know, in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there, there's this whole mix. And so even the Chinese community is, is broken up. And then when you actually look at it, it's totally different because they actually travel in different groups as well. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be friends with a like three or four Chinese people from different groups. Well, we don't say, okay, well, you're from this group or you're that group. <laughs> exactly. so like, it's, you know, and they hang out with, you know, my Caucasian friends and my South Asian friends, my Jewish friends, and we don't. And that is a good point because, you know, when you look at South Asians and, 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 and Chinese as well, when you look at those countries, there's a diversity of ethnicities within them. We've mm-hmm. kind of blanketed this idea of, okay, you're Chinese or you're yeah. Indian. Yeah. But within those countries, there's a, a great diversity in terms of dialects and languages and, and ethnicities. And, but we, we've just kind of painted them all as like, okay, they're all Indian or they're all Chinese. yeah, well, And that's not really reality, right? No. I, well, I've been to India six times. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. And it's incredibly diverse. And you go to different villages or it, like, you know... Well, you, you know this, like you, you, there's different religions, you know, you, you have uh, Hindus, you have Muslims, you have Christians, you have Jains, you know, it, it goes on and on. You have mm-hmm. different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's, yeah. it's a colorful country. For sure. Right. And yeah. so, and then, you know, you come to uh, North America and you'll have some people that'll say, oh yeah, no, um, that person's Indian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, what it is, is just data chunking. You're just kind of categorizing people like that, yeah. which is fine, but it certainly is not reflective of reality. Yeah. Right. And we, and within these communities in Vancouver and otherwise, they're very diverse. Yeah. And that's something that I think we should embrace and something that we should recognize when we talk about these communities. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything wrong about talking about Chinese Canadians or South Asian Canadians, but we do have to recognize that they are diverse within their communities. Absolutely. So we had Kennedy Stewart on the show a couple weeks ago, and he changed my mind on something. Okay. We were talking about the campaign, and, you know, I I, I called it a political battle royale at the start of the show as well, and he he said, and I'm starting to agree with him, that this field is going to narrow down. As of, spe- as of recording, there's eight candidates, mm-hmm. but he thinks that this this field of mayoral candidates is going to narrow down. And I think what's interesting is if people do start to drop out of the race, this idea that you just need 20% of the popular vote kind of goes away. The threshold gets a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of votes you need to win becomes a lot higher. So it's it's almost silly to, to aim for just 20% of the vote. You need a good consensus of people that, that want to vote for you. Sure. When I'm looking at it now, this is just my own opinion. Um, is this mayoral race boiling down to Ken versus Ken? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no? Uh, who knows? You know, um, the one thing I've learned uh, being in politics, things change by the day. Yeah. And so, you know, we just focus. Uh, We're definitely very early on, for sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, you know, we can just control what we can control. And, you know, there are a bunch of what if situations and, you know, that could be one of them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we don't give a lot of thought to it. I, I actually don't give a lot of thought to what our competitors are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we just focus on what we need to do and what we stand for. And if people um, believe in that and they want to support it, great. And if they don't, um, you know, they won't. Yeah. Um, so, and, so you say bring it on. 
Yeah, bring, bring it on. Bring a ninth, a ninth mayoral candidate, a tenth mayoral you know candidate. What? The more the merrier. <laughs> the, the debates will be more interesting. So, Love it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. We're just going to wrap up here in a second. Um, I want to give you another opportunity to to speak to people in this city who feel cynical, disillusioned, maybe unhappy with the current state of affairs in Vancouver. Uh, maybe maybe some of their frustration is is warranted against the city. Maybe some of it isn't all the city's fault. But you certainly get this feeling of angst mm-hmm. in the city of Vancouver. What would your message be to those people? Well, a couple of things. Well, first of all, uh, you know, I feel the same way. That's why <laughs> I threw my uh, name in the hat. Mm-hmm. And the big thing, you know, obviously we have a lot of challenges, but I think the big thing for me was... I felt that the city wasn't listening to me Mm. and the city wasn't accountable. And as mayor of Vancouver, we're going to change that. Um, We're going to bring transparency and accountability back to city hall Mm -hmm. and we'll have real consultation processes. So that, that, that's the general theme. My, my big message is, you know, have hope. Don't leave. Change is on its way. We can do this. We can fix it. Mm. And it's going to be a group effort. So, you know, as mayor of Vancouver and with council, and there will be, you know, there will be people on, uh, you know, from other parties on council as well, um, will be representing the city. And, but it doesn't stop there. You know, if, if the residents of Vancouver think that a mayor and 10 councillors are going to fix city hall, regardless of who those individuals are, Mm. they're going to be sadly mistaken because that's not going to happen. What we need is we need people from across the city to step up and Mm -hmm. help us fix City Hall. And that's what we're going to do. So we're setting up all these little kitchen cabinets right now of people that are, you know, well-versed in all these areas and their stakeholders in these areas to help us with these processes to get input on how we would fix them. We're and you're doing this right now. We're doing it right now. Cool. And we're actually going to have a city that listens hmm. to the residents. Hmm. And so have hope. Don't leave because, you know, things will get better. Wow. Oh, very well said. I think that's a very compelling message. Great. Well, thank you. Um, if people are compelled by that message, if they're yes. compelled by you, how do they get in touch with the NPA? How do they follow you online? What what should they do if they want to participate? Yeah, uh, just hit our website. Um, I really should have it on me. It's on. I gave out all my business cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. There you go. All right. Um, you know, you can actually uh, send me an email at uh, ken at kensimformare.com. Okay. So that's Ken at KenSimForMayor.com. And, and everyone knows how Google works. They can Google yeah, MPA. They, yeah, they can Google yeah. Yeah, MPA Vancouver. What's your volunteer base looking like these days? I know it's, again, pretty early on. Yeah. but It's growing by the day, and yeah. we can use more volunteers. It's called ARMS. It's called ARMS. Yeah. So <laughs> if, you'd lo- if you'd like to support the cause and you actually want to change your city and have a voice in the city, please volunteer and hit our website. Um, there's a way of, uh, you know, donating or um, volunteering. And, you know, I'd love to have 650,000 volunteers because um, we'll know we'll cover the city because <laughs> that's how many people <laughs> live in the exactly. city. So. <laughs> so there's no cap on volunteers. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Ken, this has really been a pleasure. Apolitically speaking, ideology aside, I think you're a good man. Um, I liked to when I first met you and and the fact that you were true to your word. You gave first of all, you gave me two minutes of your time, which was 
very nice of you because you were very popular in that yeah. function in May. Um, you kept your word. You're here. You're honest and open. And um, are you going to be back when when you're the mayor of Vancouver? Absolutely. I'm, I'm holding you to that. Yeah, well, I just committed. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here. Thank you again. And I wish you the best of luck in the campaign. Great. Thank you very much for your time and the opportunity. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, a homegrown entrepreneur extraordinaire and very possibly your next mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim. And I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>